You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. I invite you to return to Matthew's Gospel, to chapter 6. We're just going to be looking at... uh, one, one verse, and primarily the entire message is going to concern this third petition, but let's begin reading with verse 9, and uh, we'll read through verse 10, 9 and 10. These are the words of Christ. Verse 9, he says, Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we look to you this morning as we come to your word, as we seek, O Lord, to uh, hear from your word. Father, it is your voice we seek. We pray, O Father, that you would speak to us spiritually through your word this morning, Father that we would hear uh, uh, not the voice of a man. We do not need to hear uh, opinions of men, uh, certainly not my own opinions. Uh, we do not need to hear from men. We, Father, the church so desperately needs to hear from you. And Father, we pray that you would be pleased to speak to us this morning, Father, through your word. And we are of good cheer because we know, O oh Lord, it is your good pleasure to speak to your children through this instrument that you have anointed and ordained for this purpose. So, Father, we look to you, and we look to you for a word uh, from you this morning. Give to us, O Father, clarity of thought and understanding. Give to us, O Lord, conviction. And, Father, um, cause us to grow through these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning we continue in our study, our series on prayer, and this brings us to the third petition. And one of the things I want to show before we go any further is the tight relationship that exists between the first, between the third petition and the first two. Uh, there's a really tight uh, relationship uh, here that I want to show. And of course, the first petition, hallowed be thy name, cons- concerns God's glory, doesn't it? We've been over that uh, a few weeks back. And uh, we've reviewed it several times, and I've, in each of these times, I've taken you to verse 33 of chapter 6, where Jesus gives this principle, and he's already given this principle, but he's repeating this principle in the context of anxiety. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And again, we've seen, well, what things? Uh, and verse 25 answers that, <laughs> your life, <laughs> your body, <laughs> uh, Food, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. These aren't uh, luxuries uh, that Jesus is talking about. These are the very necessities of life. And he's putting these things in perspective. He, he tells us, your father knows what you need. He knows you need these things. He, he understands that. But the first priority of our attention is to be the glory of God. 
And of course, this is in everything that we do. And that is what we're praying for. That's not all that we're praying for when we pray, hallowed be thy name. Uh, but that is one of the things we're praying for, is that God would be glorified by everything that we do. Be glorified, O Lord, as I get up in the morning. Hallowed be your name. Be glorified, O Lord, in the way that I conduct myself at the workplace. Be glorified, O Lord, in the way I go about my day. Be glorified. Uh, in everything that I do. And the second thing that I said that this, uh, that I've been saying that this first petition does is it directs our prayer, doesn't it? It directs the rest of our prayer. It sets the trajectory, if you will, of our prayer. Uh, because praying is something that we do, and praying is to be done for the glory of God, isn't it? So uh, to flesh it out, I think it's, it's to take it out of abstraction and make and flesh it out. Uh, we, we might pray this way, uh, uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for your glory, that we would not bring shame upon the kingdom of Christ, that, we, that in our failings and in our falling, we would not bring shame upon our personal witness. But, oh, Lord, for your glory, for your glory, keep us uh, from uh, temptation. Keep us, O oh Lord, deliver us uh, from evil. We could say the same thing about every uh, prayer that we lift up. You know, we want to lift up a sister who's about to attend, attend a Bible study. Father, for your glory, for, the, for your glory, do a wonderful work and open up her heart to receive the gospel so that as she goes back to her circle of friends, you will be glorified. You know, you start praying this way, you'll quickly see how all prayer is to be this way. You know, be glorified uh, in the life of our uh, sibling or parent or uh, or child who is not following. Be glorified um, by plucking them out of darkness and showing your gospel power, showing that you have power to pull whoever you want, anytime you want, out of the kingdom of darkness. Show your omnipotence, as Spurgeon used to pray. Lord, demonstrate your omnipotence to this to this dying world by plucking a sinner out of the firebrands and showing them that you are God. That's a, a loose paraphrase of the way Spurgeon would pray uh, from his pulpit. And I suggest we need to take that on, uh, that there's not enough prayer going on like this. We wonder why this isn't happening, but let's think about our prayer life and let's uh, weigh our prayer life in the balances of the way that Jesus is teaching us to pray here. And I think we will stumble upon some of the reason why uh, these things aren't happening. So there's God's glory Hallowed be thy name, the first uh, petition. The second petition, uh, God's kingdom, uh, thy kingdom come. And I said last week that Christ's kingdom is really his reign, if you will. And here we have to put our thinking caps on. If this is new to you, uh, this may, you, you might say, whoa, wait, this is, this is tying my, my brain up into a knot. Well, I want to make you feel better because my brain hasn't been taken out of the knot it was tied up in when I first heard this. Um, this stuff is not easy to grasp. Namely, that Jesus is in possession of two natures, yet he's one person. Um, our minds are not up to, the, up to carrying the freight of that one. Uh, but it's been revealed to us. And here, I don't know if you realize it, within 90 days or so, I mean, we're barreling down on the Christmas season, and uh, we're already planning for it. Uh, we were talking about it in our session meeting on Monday, and it's, we're not thinking about Christmas just yet, but it's near. And um, we don't celebrate a church calendar per se here, but we do uh, generally devote at least two Sundays of the year specifically for the Incarnation. 
What is the incarnation? The incarnation is God stepping into time, space, and history in the person of Jesus Christ. And more specifically, it is the Son. We have the Father, the Son, a second person of the Trinity. He steps into time, space, and history in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, in terms of kingship, in terms of sovereignty, uh, we're not speaking of the Son uh, as the second person of the Trinity when we talk about the kingdom of Christ. Uh, as second person of the Trinity, the Son has always been in possession of absolute authority and power. When we're talking about the kingdom of Christ, we're talking about the sovereignty that's been invested in Jesus as the God-man, fully God, fully man. Um, so this is what we're talking about. And as we talk about God's kingdom, we're talking about Christ's reign in two ways. Uh, and we divide this up in theology so that we can understand it, but we need to understand it's not necessarily uh, divided up that way in the heart of God. It's certainly not uh, in the heart of God. Now, these things are all one, if you will, but and if, to enable us to understand these things, we understand this in primarily two ways. One, Christ's reign in the hearts of believers. And when you become a believer, a new principle begins to govern your life, doesn't it? I mean, if it doesn't, you haven't become a believer. I mean, this is one of the primary differences. You can't do the things you used to do. Why? Well, because a new, there's a new principle in your heart. There's a new principle in your life. And this new principle in your heart says, well, wait a second. That's not going to yield happiness. That's not going to bring me happiness. That's actually going to yield misery because uh, how can I displease God this way? And even when we do fall, and even when we do falter, what happens afterwards? This principle in our lives convicts us, doesn't it? We used to be fine doing these things. Uh, it might have bugged our conscience for a little while, uh, but our conscience so quickly sears, doesn't it? It so quickly um, dulls, if you will, and then it's okay. But this, this principle is the principle of the Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts, convicting of, us of, of our sin, showing us that this is the right path, this new path. And uh, J.C. Ryle famously put it this way. I love the way he puts it because with this simple sentence, it, it puts it all in perspective. Jesus doesn't save anyone he can't command. If he can't command you, he isn't saving you either. Um, so it's, it's a good, that's, it, 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 that's a good way of putting it. So Christ's reign uh, is, in one respect, his reign in the heart's uh, of his people. Uh, but there's, there's more to it. Most people won't object to that. I'd say over the last 20 years as I've talked about this, uh, I, haven't, I don't know that I've ever gotten any pushback on the first thing I've just said. But I do get pushback on the second part. Namely, that Christ's reign, he reigns over the universe. He's reigning over the universe. You will get pushback on that. Where people say, well, yeah, Christ, Christ reigns in the heart, but he's not really reigning in the world. Look at the world. He can, you know, I've even heard very popular, I heard one pastor, if I named him, you would all probably recognize his name, very popular, who said that if Christ is reigning, he's not really doing a very good job. Well, he didn't mean any disrespect to Christ when he said that. I, I don't want to suggest that this pastor was meaning in any disrespect to Christ. This pastor just doesn't believe Jesus is reigning right now. That's, that's, that's all. I don't want to take him out of context. But the fact is he is reigning. What, how else can you take 
Uh, and last week I brought a number of passages to bear. I won't go through them all this morning. Uh, but how else can you take all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me? Or Paul's words, you know, all things have been put in subjection under his feet. Christ is reigning. And I can't think of too many more miserable. What a miserable message that Christ isn't reigning right now. I mean, this is a message we should be shouting from the housetops. And in fact, I was trying to comfort someone who is so caught up in this, this divisive stuff that's going on. It's the stuff that we're all caught up in to some degree. We've got to push away against that. We've got to pull from that. Uh, we, we've got to be salt and light to that, not contributing to it. And I was mentioning to this person, well, you know, Jesus, you know, presidents come and go, but Jesus, Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. He is seated upon a throne. Oh, he's not reigning that way. He reigns in your heart. I'm like, yeah, he reigns in, he reigns in the heart too. Oh, yeah. Um, but he's reigning from a throne. He, 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 Last I heard, he's at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. If that's all that was said, we could conclude from there uh, that he is reigning and in possession of all things. Christ is moving this universe. He's moving all circumstances, events, nations, etc. to advance first the glory of the Father. You see, that's the principle. Even in Je Jesus demonstrated that that was the first principle. The glory of God, the glory of the Father, but he's also advancing all, he's moving all of these things in order to advance his glorious kingdom. So we can't see how all of the crazy things that are going on here could be uh, being used by God to, to, to bring all of these things about. We don't have the mental capacity to understand all of that, but we can be comforted greatly to know that God is doing that. Uh, and I've said this for years. I said this 10, 15 years ago. I said, listen, we need to understand things, to understand something. Things may have to get really bad before they get really good. And we need to be prepared for that. Uh, that, that, that could be where we're headed. I don't know. Um, but here we have Christ's kingdom. So when we pray thy kingdom come, we're praying for Christ to advance his kingdom in our hearts and other hearts, increasing our surrender, gathering us together. Uh, gathering us together. I don't know if we think of them, you know, as we think about uh, thy kingdom come, you know, advance your kingdom in the hearts of unbelievers, people who are not paying, um, uh, paying any devotion to you whatsoever. Advance your kingdom by, by opening their hearts and minds so that uh, they will come to see, uh, protect us, nourish us, cause us to grow, perfect us. And this last one, put an end to evil. Uh, that is what ultimately uh, this kingdom is going to bring is an end uh, to evil when it is consummated. So usher in your glorious kingdom uh, in its fullness. Now, what's the relationship between the third petition with these first two? It's this. Um, and you don't need to turn there, but I know you already memorized these verses because this, this verse was our scripture memory verse a few weeks back. You remember the verse from Ezekiel 36, verse 23. You don't need to turn there. But here the Lord says, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name. You remember that verse? I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I will vindicate my holiness before their eyes. What is God saying there? He's saying, I'm going to be glorified. 
That's hallowed be thy name. It's also his will. So you see, when we pray, thy will be done, that includes the glorification of God's name, doesn't it? You with me there? Because it is his, it is his will, and, you, and we can take it to the bank. He is going to be glorified. He's being profaned for a season. Right now, we see him being profaned all over the place. But this is going to be short-lived. There's, this is going to come to an end. Why? Because it is his will that he be glorified. And he will be glorified. And when we pray, hallowed be thy name, we're praying for something that he wills to be done. And when we pray, uh, thy will be done, we're also praying, be glorified. You see the relationship there? The same thing goes for uh, the kingdom. It's the same thing for the kingdom. I mean, we, I don't think I need to develop it, but it's God's will that his kingdom should come. And we see that all over the place uh, throughout Scripture. So when we pray, thy kingdom come, we're, we're doing God's will. We're doing his will. Uh, we're also praying his will. So we see the relationship between thy will be done and thy kingdom come. Now, so far, I'm assuming that we all understand what God's will is, and I think that wouldn't, that's not a safe assumption. Uh, too often we assume what, uh, we not only assume that everybody understands what we mean, but we assume that everybody assigns the same definitions to the words. There's a lot of times where we talk right past each other because we mean different things by the same words. So let me clarify what God's will is before we go any further. In theology, there's a number of distinctions that we make for God's will. I don't want to go into all of that. Some of you will be familiar with some of those, like his benevolent will, his uh, declarative will, his decretive will. Does that mean anything to anybody here? Some of you, some of us love this stuff. We can't get enough of this stuff. And, um, uh, you know, I, most of the time those terms are thrown around in the context of predestination and election in order to try to sort that out. But I, I don't want to go into all of that this morning. What I do want to go into is uh, two distinct ways uh, that apply here to the way Jesus is, pr- is, is teaching us to pray. And, uh, and, and the, the first, we'll just say God's will is, or God's will are his precepts, his laws, uh, and his statutes, which he reveals in his word. If you look at chapter 7, you're in Matthew still, right? If you look at chapter 7 and verse 21... It's a really handy place. Just Some of you will just have to turn one page. And notice what Jesus says there. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will. You see, here's this will. The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, what does Jesus have in mind there? Well, God's revealed will. We can't do will that hasn't been revealed to us because we wouldn't know what that will is. But this will has been revealed to these, uh, to these parties, and that is why they're guilty of not doing it. So God's will in this context are, is basically his word. Uh, we're not to be just hearers of his word only, as James put it. We're to be doers uh, of his word. Uh, so this would be the first way that God's will uh, is, uh, um, uh, uh, should be understood and thy will be done. But there's a second way that we should think of it as well, and I'll just call that his inner determination. Let's just call it that for right now. And if you look at chapter 10, verse 29, 
Matthew chapter 10, verse 29. You get an example of that. I think the verse helps, um, helps us with this. You know, where Jesus says there are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. You know, I had to, you know, you got, well, many of you know, I mean, I'll, I'll do everything I can practically total a car to try to avoid running something over, but I hit a deer on Monday in my truck and just made me feel terrible. Um, but right after it happened, I thought, you know what? Not a sparrow falls apart, or not a sparrow, not a single sparrow falls apart from the will of God. Now, we don't know what that will is. Uh, we, we don't know. But when we pray, thy will be done, we are submitting ourselves to whatever that will is. Lord, I don't know what your will is, but I know it's good. And I want to embrace it. And whatever your will is, for whatever situation we might be thinking about, thy will be done, if you will. Thy will be done. Now, Jesus speaks to both of these in 26, chapter 26, verse 39. And this is really instructive for us. Chapter 26, verse 39. Very famously, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's, he's just really, he's only hours away, maybe even minutes away from being arrested. And in verse 38, he says to his disciples, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. He moves a, a short distance away from them, and he falls on his face, and he prays, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And here we see both. I think we can make a case that both of these types of wills are in view in this single verse. Well, Jesus, Jesus has said over and over again that he must, be, uh, he must be crucified. He must be lifted up and raised and on the third day raised according to the Scriptures. He tells his disciples that this is according to the Scriptures. In other words, this is according to the revealed will of God, this cross that Jesus must carry. But there Jesus is uh, only, uh, perhaps only moments away from being arrested. And he asked the Lord, listen, if there could be another way, if it could be your will that there be another way, not as I will, but as you will. You see, both are in view uh, in, that, in that context. So we're not just praying that, uh, that the Lord would, um, you know, would move us, if you will, and move others to follow hard after, his, uh, after God's word, but we're also submitting ourselves uh, to whatever his will would be. Lord, I'd like to have this new job. I'd like to have it a lot, um, but not as I will, but as you will. Okay, person who prays that way doesn't know what the will is. But that person is surrendering to whatever that will is. Because by faith, this person understands that this will is best, that this will is good, that this will will ultimately serve God and his purposes, right? Uh, so now this brings us to a problem. Um, we've got a, a significant problem. And what is the problem? Well, the fallen heart is not about the will of the Lord or about the kingdom of the Lord or about the glory of the Lord, is it? It's not um, hallowed be thy name. It's hallowed be my name, right? It's not thy kingdom come. It's my kingdom come. 
It's not thy will be done. It's my will be done. And that's the problem with the world, isn't it? And missionary activity exists because that exists. If that didn't exist, there would be no need for pastors. There'd be no need for missionaries. Uh, there would at that point be no need for the gospel either. It's, it, 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 we're not going to be sharing, we're not going to be evangelizing in heaven uh, or in the new heavens and the new earth. There's going to be no need to evangelize. Um, uh, because this is going to be done away with. This is, this is a temporary season. It's a temporary problem. But right now, it is a significant problem, but it's one that Jesus has overcome. And uh, this is the state of the fallen heart, but uh, the redeemed heart, as we, as we become believers, well, it doesn't all go away, does it? It doesn't all go away, and, and we'll, catch our, we'll catch ourselves saying, whoa, um, my glory be done. Uh, or hallowed be my name. We'll catch. We don't put it that way. I mean, we wouldn't want to put it that way. That don't sound so good. Uh, my my will be done. Or uh, hallowed be my name, if you will. Um, that don't sound so good. Um, but that's what's happening when self will and self glory competes with our affection and our commitment to God's. And that's the battle, isn't it? Isn't that the battle that we all find ourselves in? We hear news, someone has said something about us. And the prouder we are, the more we're going to be outraged by that. Why? Because hallowed be my name, and this person is desecrating my name. But the humbler we are, the less concerned we're going to be about it. See? The less control it's going to have over us. Uh, you can take, take that to the bank. But self-will and self-glory, I mean, the fallen human heart can do no other. Uh, the fallen human heart can do no other. The redeemed heart is a different matter. In the redeemed heart, we have this battle going on, this, this, this self-will and glory competing with the affection and commitment to God's glory. And the same thing could be said of the kingdom, can it? My kingdom come. Uh, something threatens that kingdom, we get upset. Um, because uh, self is risen, and self desires to be on the throne. Self desires to be enthroned, and anything that threatens self is going to have some level of opposition. And this still goes on in our hearts, doesn't it? And how do we overcome this? One of the ways we overcome this is by seeing how ugly it is and seeing its miserable end. And that's why uh, we read from Isaiah uh, chapter 14, and I would invite you to turn there, if you would, to Isaiah 14. Uh, that's why I, 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 I have woven Isaiah into this message this morning, because here's a very graphic place where we see not only the, the folly of this, uh, not only do we see the, the end of this, but we also see the misery of it. We see all of these very graphically. And in this particular section of Scripture, we have what the ancients would have referred to as a taunt song. A taunt song. If, if you look at verse 4, they're told, you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. What is a taunt song? Well, in ancient times, conquerors would often um, sing these taunt songs to those whom they've conquered. It's a genre of literature that was known to the ancient people. This would have been known to them. And you notice if you look at verse 4, you will take up this taunt against who? Uh, the king of Babylon. How the oppressor has ceased 
The insolent fury has ceased. If you look down to verse 12, look what's said right there. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. Yeah. This is really graphic imagery. In fact, it's a word picture. It's, all, it's in all probability a word picture. Uh, if any of you have a Reformation study Bible, you'll have a, a note there uh, that explains that this is probably referring to the planet of Venus uh, with this idea of uh, uh, O'Day star, uh, Venus rising in the morning, being visible in some parts of the world in some time, during some seasons of the world. You see Venus, you can see it for a little bit because the sun hasn't come up uh, all the way. But as Venus is trying to raise itself up to the top, as Venus is trying to get to the top, if you will, every time the sun rises and the sun overtakes Venus with its glory. In other words, the sun always outshines Venus. And it's a wonderful, wonderful, very graphic uh, picture of what's going on here. As men and women try to rise uh, to the top, you have this, you, have, you can see it in the mornings in some parts of the world. The Venus is trying to come up, and there, and there the sun uh, eclipses it um, every time. It, it never works. Uh, it's always outshined. Uh, and, of course, uh, this is referring ultimately to uh, the king of Babylon. You, you see there how you are cut down uh, to the ground, you who laid the nations low. If you look at verse 13, you said in your heart, I will ascend. You said in your heart, I will ascend, uh, if you will. And what do we have going on there? You said in your heart, I will ascend. Here we have inward determination. That sounds familiar. We were just talking about inward determination, weren't we? When we were talking about thy will be done. Now, here the inward determination is my will be done. You said in your heart. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will, set, I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. What is that all about? The ancient Canaanites believed that all the gods assembled on this mountain, Mount Zephon, and they all assembled there, and one god assembled himself above all of the other gods on this mountain. And that's what's being referenced by far reaches of the north. We have it here. Uh, it's rare, but we have it here in Isaiah 14, and we also have it in Psalm 48, verses 1 and 2, if memory serves me correctly. Uh, this far reaches of the north. And here the imagery is, here are the gods. They're all assembled together, and there's one God who is rising above them. And what is the king of Babylon saying in his heart? I am going to rise above hell. I'm going to rise above this king who is risen above this assembly of gods, if you will. No, I am going straight to the top is where I'm going. I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly. The far reaches of the north. The king of Babylon decides to be higher than all gods, if you will. All gods. And if you look at verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and make myself like the most high. Oh, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound like Satan speaking to Eve in the garden? He entices her to eat from the fruit. And she says, no, 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 I can't eat from the fruit. And what does he say to her? Oh, God knows that if you eat from this fruit, then you're going to be like him. You're going to be like him. And that's why uh, many have come to the conclusion that these verses are speaking about the fall of Satan. 
Uh, what we can say for sure, uh, they're certainly speaking about the fall of the king of Babylon. The king of Babylon was powerful. Uh, he had, uh, in many ways, he had probably, arguably, maybe more authority than any man has ever had in the, in the, in the history of mankind. And he, he built a magnificent kingdom, uh, if you will. Um, we could say for sure behind him, saying verses 13 and 14, is the activity of Satan himself, isn't it? It's the activity of Satan himself speaking here. I will make myself like the Most High. Here the king apes. He apes the very words of Satan when he speaks to Eve in the garden in Genesis 3. Now, this is where my will be done is at. This is just where it's at. This is a graphic picture of what my will be done looks like from a biblical perspective. This is what it looks like. And look at its end. What happens? Verse 15, but you are brought low. See that there? Down to Sheol. What is Sheol? It's the grave. To the far reaches of the pit. You who, those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. This is the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms. Everybody was afraid of King Nebuchadnezzar. If it's King Nebuchadnezzar who's in view, I'm sure it, 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 it could be speaking to one specific king, but they all had this characteristic, didn't they? could be speaking more broadly to others. It doesn't matter for our purposes here. Uh, it doesn't necessarily matter. But they're amazed. They're like, is this the one that we used to be afraid of? Who made, verse 17, who made the world like a desert and overthrew its cities and who did not let his prisoners go home? <laughs> Verse 18, all the kings of the nations lie in glory, each in his own tomb. Well, they were buried in honor. That's what that verse means. They're buried in honor. You can visit their tomb, and they're buried in honor. Uh, verse 18. But look at verse 19. But you, you're cast away, away from your grave, like a loathed branch clothed with slain. Those pierced by the sword who go down to the, down to the stones of the pit, like a dead body trampled underfoot. You will not be joined with them in burial, because you have destroyed your land, you have slain your people. May the offspring of evildoers never bore, never more be named. Here we see the miserable outcome and the miserable end of this. And what, how, how do we apply this when we catch ourselves uh, laboring for our own glory, when we catch ourselves in so many words saying, you know, hallowed be my name or my kingdom come, or my will be done. Uh, we can come to Isaiah 14 and we can look at the miserable end, the miserable outcome of that, the unhappiness of it, the misery of it. And then we can be reminded that there's another path. It goes a different way and it goes like this. Blessed is. Blessed is. And that takes us to Psalm 1. That's why I chose Psalm 1 this morning. And if you go to Psalm 1, it's interesting to me that the Psalter begins uh, with this word, blessed. <laughs> here's, here's a happier route to take. Here's a better route to take. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. No. Um, scripture's giving us another picture. This is a happiness. It's a blessedness. And what make, what's, it's, it's, it's a multifaceted term that, that kind of encompasses, uh, it can accompany joy and happiness, if you will. 
but undergirding this joy and this happiness, it's, it can be joyous and it can be happiness because it is the recipient of God's favor. Can you get your mind around that? It's not just joy over winning a ball game or something. Uh, it's, it's this joy. It's, it's this joy that, you know, I have, I have found favor with God. Um, that's how the Lord comes to uh, Mary, isn't it? You have found favor with God. Uh, and she's referred to as the most blessed of women, isn't she? As Protestants, we shouldn't get nervous about that. That's the word of God. That's the clear teaching of Scripture. And you have this word happiness. War is this happiness. Well, is it joyous? Oh, my goodness. What could be more joyous? Is it happiness? Oh, my goodness. What could make you more happy than to find favor with God? But the point of it is it's undergirded by this idea that undeservingly God has come and shown this great favor. And in Psalm number one, we have this. Blessed is the man who has been shown such great favor. His heart has been transformed. He walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And, of course, this ultimately is pointing to Christ, whose heart did not need transformation. This is the way he is. This is the way the perfect uh, human being is. And we could say this is the way that we will be in the new heavens and the new earth. If you're wondering what you're going to be like in the new heavens and the new earth, well, this is one of the answers. We're not going to walk in the counsel of the wicked because the counsel of the wicked will be no more. We get that from Isaiah 14, don't we? In fact, we have already learned that from uh, thy kingdom come, that all evil is going to be destroyed. It's not going to be no more. There is going to be no counsel of the wicked any longer. There is going to be no way of sinners any longer. There are going to be no more scoffers, if you will. So there's no uh, place to assemble with scoffers or um, th this is not going to be anymore. No, the delight, verse 2, is going to be in the, in the law of the Lord. Now, the revealed will of the Father, my will be done, uh, is going to give way to thy will be done. And his delight is going to be in thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Hallowed be thy name. You see, the, the, it, there's going to be a true inward delight in that. And if we're in Christ this morning, there should already be a foretaste of that. There should, there, it, it, it's really a crazy schizophrenic mixture of things, isn't it? Where in one minute we can praise God singing these songs and you can be uh, on the ceiling enjoying worship with the Lord. And then out here in the hallway, you can have your, your pride crossed, and all of a sudden, what happens? Self rears its ugly head, and it can happen that quickly. Oftentimes, it does happen. Every time we experience some great height, if you will, what happens next? You just can't believe what you've said next. You can't believe what you just did next. You can't, what, what's, we're really a, it's really a schizophrenic, uh, it's, 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 it's really, uh, it's a mess. But that's the battle. That's what we have to battle. In Isaiah 14 and Psalm 1, we, we can put these two together. We can even put Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 together, which is interesting. You look at Psalm 2, verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Why in the world do they say things like, I am going to ascend above the Most High, or I'm going to be like the Most High? Why would anyone say that? After already covering the blessedness, why would anyone say that? 
after already covering the outcome. You look at verse 4 of, of Psalm 1. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. See, we need these words stored up in our hearts. and We need to know where we can find these words. As soon as we find self rearing its ugly head, we can think of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man. Start just with that. Blessed is the man. It says that other stuff I haven't memorized yet, but I know it's good and I'm going to get to it here in a minute as soon as I can. As soon as I can pull the car over and look it up on my phone or as soon as I can get somewhere where I can look it up. And eventually you're going to have it memorized. And it's a great way. Uh, Blessed is the man who is walking with Christ in righteousness, committed to his glory, kingdom, and will. We could put it that way. Just take the three petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Blessed is the man who is walking with Christ. And his delight is in the glory and the kingdom and the will of Almighty God. That's the blessed path, isn't it? And it's contrary to the wicked one. So in conclusion, as we pray thy will be done, we pray that our hearts and others will be increasingly inclined to follow hard after God's revealed will. And we pray for God to bring to pass whatever he decrees uh, to bring to pass. It might not be news we initially like, but by faith we recognize ultimately it's going to be the very best news uh, that could possibly be. That's a hard pill. Depending on what the nature of the circumstances are, that can be a very hard pill. Um, but such is, the, the, such is the, the, the revealed will of God. And that's why the unbeliever, the unbelieving heart rejects it. That's too hard of a pill. But uh, if Christ has come into your life, if Christ is ruling and governing there, you can't reject it. You, all you can do is say, you know, I don't understand it all the time. But I'm, I'm in full recognition that this is good. Lord, thy will in this matter be done. Thy will be done. Heavenly Father, we so thank you that, Lord, you have given us instruction that is just unbelievable as we begin to study your word and as we begin to be guided by your Holy Spirit and your word. We can truly say our delight is in the law of the Lord. Our delight is in your will, O Father. Your will be done both your revealed will and, and uh, the inner determination of your heart or your decretive will, whatever we want to call it, O Lord, may it be done. May this be done, O Lord. O Father, we recognize that this will, as Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, this will could bring many tears to us. But we know and we learn from Jesus and we learn from you and we know by faith that ultimately it's going to bring great joy. O Father, we pray that you will help us Help us in these things, O oh Father. Help us to embrace these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.